Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the gospel that you have reconciled us to yourself by your own blood, by your own sacrifice. Thank you that you took the wrath that we deserved. Thank you that you took the punishment that we deserved so that we could know you. Lord, that we don't have to lead hollow, empty, trivial lives. Thank you that we get to know you. Lord, I ask that you would use my words that I would speak very clearly, that your word would come forth with power, Lord. That the areas in our hearts that are concealed or away from you or anything like that, Lord, would be exposed and made right with you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. The nature of reality. Who is God? So do you ever look at the world and wonder how we got to this point? With things in the history book, such as a hundred million people being murdered in the last century, only through communism. What does it take for mothers and doctors to abort 56, no, six, yeah, 56 million children every year? What does it take for communist Russia to execute a thousand people per day for two years straight during the Great Purge? What does it take for humans to kill 1.5 million Armenians during the Armenian genocide in Turkey? What does it take? What is, how do we get to that point? Why did these things happen? And the point of the message this morning is everything that we do comes from our worldview. Everything that we do comes from how we see the nature of reality. Everything that people do, they do because they have a particular view of God. If you believe, if one believes that God does not exist, such as communism posits, then of course we're only answerable to ourselves. Why not kill 100 million people if it benefits me and my country? What we believe about God directs our lives more than anything else. It is the driving motivation for not only what we do on Sundays, but how we lead the entirety of our lives. And this is true for everyone, for the non-religious as well as the religious, for Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, everybody does what they do because they have a particular view of God. I have a friend Sierra Le or in Sierra Leone. His name is Kojo George. He's one of the graduates from Grace Bible Institute. And he lives, he's a Christian in a, I think, 70 plus percent Muslim country, Sierra Leone. And he went to minister to a tribe and he was tied up, beat up, tied to a tree, beaten for over a day, and they were going to light him on fire before someone sprung him. All he had to do was recant. All he had to do was say, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm not a Christian. I'll stop preaching here. And he couldn't. Why? Because he had a particular view of who God is. A.W. Tozer said, whatever comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. What we believe about who God is directs everything that we as humans do. 
And there's no, there's no greater subject, really, that we could be talking about than this. The infinite, holy, perfect, almighty God who is the pinnacle. Last night I said the penultimate, and my wife corrected me. Penultimate's not the right word. That's second to top. He is the ultimate. He's the most important thing. And a 30-minute sermon's barely going to scratch the surface of that. But we press on. Number one. What we believe about God determines how we see the world around us, what lens we interpret all experiences through. It is our worldview. So an accurate view of God, an accurate view of who he is, will lead to a certain kind of living. An inaccurate view of who God is will lead to to a different kind of living. An accurate view of God will lead to righteous, loving, kind, joyful, triumphant living, because that's who he is. An inaccurate view of who God is will lead to self-centered, unkind, unloving, capricious, always looking out for number one type of living. We'll do whatever is right in our own eyes. We'll do what we think is right. A wrong view of God will lead to low, trivial, trite living at best and wicked, evil, terrible living at worst. So it's evident that what we believe about God is extremely important because we want to live righteous, holy, just, triumphant, joyful lives. So how do we discover who God is? There's a billion different voices all saying different things about who God is, however many religions there are in the world. For instance, I was standing in downtown Salem uh, two weeks ago witnessing to people, uh, me and a group of people, we go stand on the street corner and just try to share the gospel. And this one gentleman comes up and he said he was a Christian, but he said, well, Christianity is true for you and me, but it's not true for these other people. Therefore, it's not true. And some of you are scratching your heads And you should be, because that's contradictory, right? It's either true or it's not. Gravity is either real or gravity is not real. I'm either here or I'm not. Those things can't—two contradictory statements cannot both be true. So you can't say Christianity is true for us and not true for them, if that makes any sense. And with all these different religions, many are saying, God is this way, or God is that way, or— everyone is going to heaven, or nobody goes to heaven, or God doesn't care what you do, or God has determined every single thing that you do. There's a religion that says God earned his God status. He was once a human, and he elevated himself to God status. And then there's other religions that say Jesus was only a human. So with these contradictory viewpoints, how do we determine what is true? Number two, we do not determine who God is. Rather, God has communicated to us who he is. We don't want a lopsided, untrue view of who God is. We want a true, accurate, realistic view of who he is. So how do we find out? It's safe to say that God knows himself better than we know him. So if I say something, even from up here with the pulpit, if I say something contradictory to what he says, who's wrong? Me. So if every other voice in the world is telling you something about God 
that he has not communicated about himself, who's wrong, them or him? Them. So he knows himself better. So if he communicates something to us about himself, that is the way that we need to go. That's the thing that we need to believe as true. Are we understanding? So if God claims to be the author and epitome of justice, who are we to say otherwise? If he's the epitome of wrath, love, mercy, who are we to say, well, I like the love and mercy stuff, but the justice and wrath stuff I'm going to leave over here. I'm going to leave that for someone else. The law of non-contradiction, as I stated earlier, it says that contradictory propositions cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. So the proposition A equals B and A does not equal B cannot both be true at the same time. It's very simple. Two-year-olds get this. If you lie to a two-year-old, what do they, they understand that you're lying. Or my dog, when I go to throw a stick and I hide it behind my back, he knows that it can't be over there and in my hand at the same time. Even dogs understand the law of non-contradiction. So if someone says something about God and he says something about himself, his word triumphs, not humans. So that's how we're going to spend the rest of the message. We're going to be looking at what God says about himself. And the Bible's authors, uh, those who God spoke to, to record what he has said about himself, they never seek to prove that God exists. They simply begin with the proposition that he exists, that he created everything else. He's the only uncreated thing, and everything was made by him. The Bible doesn't seek to prove that he exists, but it does seek to prove to show who he is. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to go through lots of verses, which are all recorded on that sheet. So if I go, I'm going to be going fast through them. So just underline them, look them up later. Please feel free to use that as a resource. So number three, God is creator. God is creator. God is self-existent. He's not dependent on anything else or anyone outside of himself. He's eternal. He's outside of time. He's outside of the universe, if that makes sense. The universe, everything that is, is made up of four things. Space, time, matter, and energy. Space, time, matter, and energy. He created those things. Therefore, by nature, he is outside of those things. And that, that answers a lot of our problems, especially in the, regards to the nature of time and how does God know the future? Because he made it. He made time. Number, oh, sorry. 1 Corinthians 8. We know that an, that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Isaiah 48. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. And I forgot to include a certain part in there, but he says, Before me there was no other God. After me there shall be none formed. 
And I forgot to include that. It's my favorite part. Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. John 5, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Next one, God is spirit. God is spirit, a spirit. God is a spirit being. He is outside the realm of nature, space, time, matter, and energy. He created those things, therefore he's outside of those things. He's above supernatural. Super means above natural nature, above nature. Very simple to think about it that way. John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 1, no one has seen God at any time. The one and only God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. 1 Timothy 6, God, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see. Number 5, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. His sovereignty is his position as God, position as creator. He rules, he reigns over all of his created order. Jesus is king. He's the king of the universe. And my goal in this is not just to make a list and say, look, I looked up some verses. My goal is to say, this is how God is. How ought we to live? If God is sovereign, if God's in control, if he is the king, then what Jesus said in, I think, Matthew 6 which is that he takes care of the birds of the air and the fields and the flowers of the field, how much more will he take care of you, O you of little faith? His sovereignty is meant, or not is meant, his sovereignty brings us comfort. When I realize that he's in control of everything, what do I have to worry about? Each of these things, each of these lists is not just me making a list. It's saying this directly impacts everything that you do. Because how you think directs and impacts everything that you do. 1 Timothy 1. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Daniel 4. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be in the be- with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Revelation 5. Angels are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Number six, God is holy. God is holy. Holiness means exalted, transcendent, majestic, morally perfect, totally removed from sin or wrongdoing. Perfection. He is the epitome of perfection. Genesis 17. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the angels called seraphim. Each had six wings. Verse 3. And to one he called, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 148. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Revelation 4. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in behind. We'll skip verse 7, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Number 7. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is omnipresent. Omni, O-M-N-I, means all or all-encompassing, present, just like I'm present here with you. He's all-present. He is everywhere present with the fullness of who he is. He sees everything. He knows everything that has happened or will happen. The word confession means to say what is true, such as I confess that Josiah is in the front row right now. Confession means to say what is true. So when we confess to God, we're just saying, Lord, you know I sinned already. I don't want to live that way. I want to live the way you want me to live. That's confession. So when we know that God's everywhere and has seen everything already, why would we hide from him? It doesn't make sense. So these things, each of these lists, I want to keep pointing us back to this, they impact how we live and how we think. So God is holy. I want to live holy. God is sovereign, so I have nothing to worry about. God is everywhere, whether in the valley of the shadow or on the mountain peak of success. He's with me. He's everywhere. I have nothing to worry about. But for the unbeliever, for those who are not in Christ, they have everything to worry about. Hebrews 4. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. First Kings 8. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? 
Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this temple that I have built. Jeremiah 23, can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth? Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Number eight, God is omnipotent, or omnipotent if you're British. Omni is all. Potent means strength. All strength. Someone corrected me on omnipotent. They said, it's omnipotent, and mm, I'm not British, so it's omnipotent. All-powerful. All-powerful. God is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. And this goes back to the law of non-contradiction. Because God is truth and the standard, the measure of reality, he can't do things that contradict his nature. So if someone says, Something like, well, if God can do everything, can he stop existing? I've had that question before. No, because that would contradict reality. He can't contradict reality. Romans 1. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Hebrews 1. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. God is, number nine, God is immutable. Immutable means unchanging. In character, word, and being, this is such a comfort. He is not fickle. He's not capricious. Some of us grew up with uh, dads, a father figure. God calls himself the father. Some of us grew up with dads that were fickle, that were capricious, that were absent. He's none of those things. He's a good dad. He's not fickle. He's not capricious. He's steady. He's a rock. He's a shield. He's the one that we can stand on and be completely firm and anchored in. Immutable. Immutable. It's not just some theological term that doesn't really mean anything. It is completely... Never mind. I'll get... I'm going on a tangent. Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of man, are not consumed. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Number 10, God is truthful. God is truthful. God is truth. He's the measure of all reality He's the measure of truth. Whatever he says things are, they are. That is what it means to be truthful. That is what it means to be the standard of truth. He's faithful. Titus 1, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. John 14, 
Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hebrews 10, oh, I'm sorry, 30. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 1 John 5, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Number 11, God is wise. God is wise. God chooses the best means to achieve the highest ends. Simply, simply or put, he doesn't do anything that wasn't the best decision. He doesn't do anything that wasn't the best decision. Isaiah 46, I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Romans 11, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Number 12, God is good. God is good. He is the standard of goodness. He is the standard of goodness. He's good and he's kind to believers and unbelievers. He makes his sun rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He is good. And when I witness to people, I tell people this is the worst news imaginable, that God is good. It's the worst news imaginable, and you might think that sounds weird. If God is good and we are unjust, if he is just and we are wicked, if he is totally removed from sin and we are entirely sinful apart from him, that is bad news because he says he's going to judge the wicked. He's going to judge us for what we have done. And if we have not had our sins forgiven, we're in trouble. Bad news. Exodus 34. The Lord, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Psalm 119. You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. 13. God is gracious. God is gracious. God shows unmerited, undeserved favor to those who are his. He displays his grace to everybody by inviting all to eternal life. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 2 Timothy 1. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Ephesians 1, in him, 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hebrews 4, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 14, God is love. God is love. God sacrificially gives of himself to seek the highest good of those to whom us he shows grace. Not only that to his children, but he shows his love to the world by offering himself, by offering Christ as a substitutionary payment for their sin. And on another note, what does it mean to love someone? It means to seek their highest good. It means to seek what is best for them. And those who are parents some know that sometimes that means putting yourself second. It means thinking of yourself last, thinking of that person, of that child before yourself. So love means seeking that person's highest good. What is the best thing that God could give us? Is it a house worth $2.5 million? Is it the kingdoms of the universe? Is it owning a star or whatever? The best thing that God could give us is himself. He is the best thing. He's the most important thing. So if he wants to give us the best gift, what does he give us? Himself. Exodus 34. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and Sorry, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that, that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know. We have come to know. We're going to come back to that word know. And believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. No. So we have come to think that maybe Christianity is true. So we have come to exercise blind faith and be a Christian because our parents were Christian. That's not what it says. It says we have come to know. Know. You can know personally that Christianity is true. You can know that Jesus is who he says he is. You can know God for yourself. There's no greater news than that. And if 
like I said, in a 30-minute sermon, which I'm already getting close to the end of, I can't continue to go on and on. I only get two sermons per year. So that... uh... See, I make jokes and you guys don't laugh, and then I say something like that, and then you guys laugh. This is... I give up, man. Um, I don't give up. Anyways, why the Bible? Come to that seminar. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be in the gym, 9 to 2. It's going to be great. Anyhow, shameless plug. Let's go on. Number 15, God has foreknowledge. God has foreknowledge. God sees the end from the beginning. Remember, space, time, matter, energy. That's what the universe is made up of. He's outside of those things. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows the past, present, and the future. Ezekiel 11 And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that have come into your mind. Isaiah 46 I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Number 16 God is wrathful. God is wrathful. God takes severe vengeance as an expression of his holiness, his righteous indignation, upon those who have broken his law or rebelled against him. This is based in his love. This is based in his justice. Think about it this way. If we were in Salem in the court and someone committed a very heinous crime and the judge says, and he says to the judge, Judge, you're a loving guy. I think you should let me go. Would we consider that judge just, or would we consider him loving if he didn't execute justice on that criminal? No, we would say he's a corrupt judge. God is not a corrupt judge. He's going to display his wrath, either in Christ, taking our punishment for us, or in us, expressing his wrath in us by sending us to the place that we collectively each deserve hell. Revelation 14. He will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, Jesus. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Jeremiah 10. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Psalm 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Nahum 1. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is, an aven- is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemy- enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are as the dust of his feet. 17. God is righteous. God is righteous. God is right. He is morally perfect in all that he does. 
He doesn't do anything wrong. Just like that unjust judge, he is not that way. He is a just judge. Nehemiah 9, now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all, all our hardship, all the hardship, seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, priests, prophets, fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of the Assyria, they were under siege at this point, since the time of the kings of Assyria, Assyria until this day, Assyria, that's funny, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. This next section is from the 1689 London Baptist Confession, written in 1689 in London by Baptists, you may have guessed. This whole sermon was kind of, uh, or it was a framework for the rest of this sermon, the attributes of God, the nature of reality. So I'm going to go ahead and read from section two, parts one and two. The Lord our God is the one and only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without parts, body, or passions, who alone has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty." God, having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He alone is fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he has most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleases. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the creator and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. So now you know everything there is to know about God and you don't have to study your work to know anymore. That's not true. When we have an accurate view of God based on what he has communicated to us, then we understand who we are. 
something Pastor Ben says up here uh, when he's worshiping. He says, when we know who he is, we know who we are. When we know who God is, we know who we are. And when it comes down to it, the goal is not to know, as I made a joke of, know everything about God, but it's to know him personally. And we generally, because we're control freaks, we want to be in control and we want to know everything. We want to have the last say in what is what. But the one who created everything, who's in control, offers you to know him personally. The one who's in control of everything, who's our righteous judge, is offering us adoption into his family, reconciliation. We were once his enemies. We Christians were once his enemies, but he's offered us adoption into his family. Jeremiah 9, it's not on there, so you'll just have to listen. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. When I know who he is, I know who I am. When I know who he is, I know that he is in charge of all the circumstances of my life, circumstances and events, and that he loves and deeply cares for me, and that in his perfect wisdom, he's causing all things to work together for my good. So, three weeks from now, I'm preaching again. If the room is half as full as it is now, I'll know exactly why. And it's going to be on who are we. In light of who God is, who are we? It's going to be in my mind, it's going to be all the encouragement that I've gotten from the scriptures from the last four or five years. Just same thing, scripture. So, I think that's it. Yeah, let's pray. Oh, wait, no, that is not it. Once I'm done praying, uh, Bethia will be up here uh, to pray with anyone who has anything going on. If you're sick, you need prayer, you have uh, a prodigal child or a prodigal spouse or whatever, come up here, pray with her you will be encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so awesome. Thank you for everything. Thank you that you've given us yourself. Thank you that you have adopted us into your family. Thank you that it's because of what you did that we're made right with you, not because of what we did. Lord, I would fail the test every single time And you brought us into your family. You've given us a new heart. You've given us a new mind. You've given us the mind of Christ. You've given us a heart of flesh that is sensitive to what you want and not a heart of stone that's hard towards you or people. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Lord, may we understand your grace and your mercy more. Lord, teach us who we are. Teach us who you are. Thank you for everything. We love you. Amen.